Hello. Uh, we're going to do something a little different tonight, uh, a little bit out of order, because uh, we're going to take communion tonight. Um, and we have some uh, African pita bread. I don't know. But at least it's not, it's not wafers. So, um, yeah. So, uh, just to give you a heads up, I want to uh, go through a little bit more of John. So, we're trying, to, uh, we're trying to make it through the book of John, which has been a task so far. Uh, I don't want to go too quickly through it. I also don't want to go too slowly through it. So, um, we're in John 8. So, if you have your Bibles, get to John 8. If you don't own a Bible... There are Bibles just outside the door on those tables, uh, and you can take those home with you, um, just if you don't own one. Uh, but if you don't want to go get one, just look in the back of your pew there. There's some there. So, like I said, we're in John 8. Uh, I want to look at John 8. Uh, we're going to go from verse 12 to verse 38. Um, there's a couple things I want to hit in there uh, that I think are some fairly famous verses that I really want to look at uh, fairly deeply. And then we're going to do some worship, and then we'll take communion, and then maybe sing a little bit more, and, and then we'll get out of here. So, uh, John 8, verse 12. Uh, let me pray for us before we get started. Uh, Father, we recognize that today is a gift from you, and Father, we recognize that everything that we have uh, in our life itself is a gift from you, and that it's not something that you owe to us, and it's not something that we claim any right over uh, and so we recognize that, and we recognize that you are the creator, uh, that you are the giver of life, and that you are a redeemer, um, and that we recognize that we can't even fully understand the scriptures without your help in that. Uh, so Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Uh, we invite you to be a part of what we're doing. We invite you to uh, open our hearts, uh, pray that you would bring walls down in, in, the live, in my life, uh, in the lives of these students. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just uh, bring emotional, spiritual walls down. Uh, so that we can look at Scripture, we can look at the Word of God uh, in light of an open heart. And so I just pray that you would make that possible tonight, because you're the only one that can do that. Um, we believe that you are good, uh, and we trust in you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, okay, John 8. Uh, it's been a while since we've been here all together. A lot of y'all skipped last week. Um, so we may need to do a little catch-up, but we'll do it quickly. Uh, so... Uh, I've mentioned this a lot. John is different than most of the other Gospels. Y'all remember me talking about this? Yeah? No? No. Okay, so John's a little different than uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four, we call them the Gospels, and they basically are just telling the story about Jesus. Uh, it is some guys, some of them walked with Jesus while he was on earth. Uh, a couple others of the Gospel writers didn't, but they were historians, and, and so they kept track of things. Uh, but John is specific, and he's different than Matthew and Mark and Luke, because he's not giving you um, this detailed historical uh, account of everything that happened in order. What John is doing is he's writing much later than these other guys, and he is giving you a portrait of Jesus. So what would happen when you get done reading the book of John is that you you would have met Jesus. You wouldn't have just read like a history about Jesus, but he's introducing you to the character of Jesus. And he's weaving together a story. So what he, and he tells you what his point is at the end of the book. He says, I want you to believe, I want you to have met Jesus in this book, believe that he's the son of God. And by believing, you would have life in his name. And so that's a huge statement, right? That just based purely on believing something, you would then have life. 
And he doesn't just mean be alive. He doesn't just mean like you can breathe air and you can eat food, but he means you have this full, beautiful experience of life with God and with other humans. And so it's something much deeper than just being alive. It's something much more than survival. And that he just lays that out at the end of the book. He says, I wrote these things so that you would believe. Uh, and he weaves together uh, what other people say about Jesus, what Jesus says about himself. And he weaves together some of the miracles that Jesus does. And then he weaves together some teachings that Jesus gives. And he weaves those all together so that you would walk away having met Jesus and you would know just who Jesus is saying that he is and just what Jesus can do. Um, and so that, that's John. And so we've looked at, we're eight chapters into that now. Um, let's, just, let's just get going into it. Uh, come with me to verse 12. If you, a lot of you did miss last week because of spring break, but last week is that really famous story. Uh, Genesis, uh, John 8, 1 through 11 is the story of the, um, the widow caught in adultery. I'm sorry, not the widow. The woman caught in adultery, and they bring her before Jesus. Uh, and they say, uh, what do we do with an adulterous woman? I, I think the law says we're supposed to kill her. We're supposed to stone her to death. And then Jesus has that famous line, right? Uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then they all just sort of walk away. And it's, it's just beautiful. It's, it's pretty famous. Uh, but just this beautiful account of uh, the forgiveness of Jesus in light of um, just detrimental, uh, terrible, a, a terrible sin. Um, so, that, that's sort of what this is coming off of. I just want you to keep in mind where it's come from and where it's going. So, uh, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, we'll stop there. I'm not going to do this a bunch, but we're going we're to have to stop there because that's an extremely loaded statement. Uh, he's equating light and life together, and you saw that at the beginning of John, him equating uh, that, that, the, that Jesus, the, the Word of God, came into the world, and the darkness did not overtake him. The darkness did not understand him. And it, and it says in that same verse that um, he was the light, and the light was the life of men. And so he's equating that life that we've been talking about, that not just survival, but that living, this true, beautiful experience. And he's equating that uh, with light. Um, so uh, it's something you may not have noticed about Jesus, but I think we should point it out. Jesus' teaching is not predominantly, it's predominantly not ethical, and it's predominantly not moral. He's not coming and he's not teaching, for the most part, things you ought to do and things that you ought not and ought to do. He's not teaching these things you should do to be a good person. His teaching is not ethical. It's not a moral thing. It's something much deeper than that. Uh, Jesus, te Jesus is taking the Old Testament. The Old Testament is uh, basically the holy books of the Jewish uh, culture. They're taking the, he's taking the holy books of, of their culture, and he's basically saying that everything in this book points to me. It's not just a book uh, telling you how to live and some stories about some things that the Jews did. What it is, is it's every single thing. The stories of the book, whether it's the sea parting and them coming through the sea and then uh, and, and Pharaoh chasing after them and then the sea. Have you all been watching the Bible? You been watching the Bible on the History Channel? Yeah, yeah, you've seen some of this, right? right? So he's, he's taking all those stories and then he's also taking their laws 
and their religious traditions. And he's saying those two aren't just religious traditions. Those two were instituted by God to point to me. So if you all have heard of the Passover lamb, if you've ever heard of that, uh, one of the Jewish traditions, they will bring this lamb, and it would be a spotless lamb, and they would lay the sins of Israel for the past year on this lamb. They would spend three days going around this lamb to make sure it's a spotless lamb. And then they would lay their hand on it, and they would take all of the sins of Israel for the past year and they would lay them on that lamb and then they would kill the lamb as atonement for the sins of Israel for that year. And he's saying even that, right at the beginning of, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, what, what does John the Baptist say? He says, behold the lamb of God. He sees Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away not just the sins of Israel for the year, but who takes away the sins of the world. So he's saying that everything about the Jewish culture and religion is pointing to Jesus for the purpose of removing the, the sins, the filth, the destructive patterns that humans carry around and engage in. And he's come to remove that. So he's not just teaching like, do this, do this. What he's saying is he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He's saying that's that's about me. That's about me. And so that's what this is. I am the light of the world. He's equating himself with the God of Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1 is, um, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out, was formless and, and void. And then what happens on the first day is God, or the first thing that God does is he creates light. And so you're seeing that the beginning of life and the beginning of creation is all surrounded with this idea of light. The Bible talks constantly about God being in unapproachable light. The, God, the, the Bible equates light with God. And this is a consistent pattern. So when he comes and says, I am the light of the world, he's making this insanely huge statement that I am from God. I am the way in which God is working. And then by using that phrase, I am, He's equating himself with God himself because I am is the name of God in Hebrew. So like he's saying some things that are, if you're Jewish, like this is aggressive. This is aggressive at you because you got some man claiming to be God just by this very simple statement. I am the light of the world. Um, and so. There's this other thing woven down into there because he's bringing, he's bringing out this idea of everything that happened in Genesis. And if you know much of the Bible, you know what happens very quickly in Genesis, right? Like creation, it's all beautiful and the naked people and then there's the tree and there's the snake. And then three chapters in, you have the fall of mankind. And then very quickly, everything unravels, right? Very quickly, Adam and Eve's Kids, kill, one of them kills the other one, right? And then that guy that survives, his line just has death and destruction. Every person after him is doing something wicked, and then, and then it ends with some guy killing some kid. Like, there's all this story. It's just like death and death and death. And you get like six chapters in, and then what happens? Like God looks at the world, and he's, he's like, there's so much wickedness. How can I not step in and do something? And he does. He steps in, and he does something. Except for it's not like the pretty pictures that are painted on the wall in the children's in the children's wing of the church of like Noah on this ark on the water, and they don't show all the people that are drowning underneath, right? 
Like, it's not, a, it's not this really happy story, Noah and the ark. It's this terribly sad story about God seeing humans and being like, oh my gosh, I've got to do, I cannot stand by and not do anything. Right? It's, <laughs> Bible is a super happy story. Um, so, Jesus is coming on and he's calling to remembrance all of that. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the only thing, I'm the only thing that can remove the darkness that covers mankind. I am the absolutely only thing. So you cannot be, you, it's not going to be education, it's not going to be politics, it's not going to be philosophy, it's not going to be better teachers, it's not going to be any of these things that can remove the brokenness of mankind that Jesus is saying, I am the only one that can bring light back to this creation. I am the only one that can bring light back to this creation. And so let's flesh that idea out very quickly. Um, let's just look at anger, right? Um, I don't know if any of you deal with just being a, like an angry person, uh, but my, my guess is that some of you do. Um, if you deal with anger, like if anger is this thing that you, can't, like you just feel rage coming up inside of you and people can say things that just send you off the edge and it just happens really quick or um, maybe you're in a relationship and nobody can really upset you the way you, like your boyfriend or your girlfriend can and then it just sends you over the edge and you just become this, this rage of a person, right? Jesus is saying, I can heal the anger I can heal the anger because what I'll do is I will come and I will take on me all of the punishment for all of the offenses for all of mankind against each other and against God. So I will take all of that. I will take all of it. And, and in return, I will clothe you in the perfect life that I lived. I will clothe you in that so that God will see you as he sees me, his perfect son. So that you will have acceptance from God again and you don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to be, you don't have to like be this holy saint for God to like you. You just have to believe. That's what John is saying, right? Believe that he's the son of God. You'll have life in his name, right? So what he's saying is I will take all of the punishment of the sins of men. And so now for the angry person, right? For the angry person, they see that anger is not beautiful or nice or good or constructive in their life. And so they try to shake the anger, right? They, I'm just not going to be angry. I'm just not going to be angry. I'm just not going to be angry. And it just doesn't work, right? You just become angry with yourself, and then that turns into depression. And it's this weird, nasty thing. But what the cross does is the cross says, anything wrong that's been done to me, I can utterly forgive because I have offended God who is perfect. And so any of the offenses done to me and any of my offenses done to God have all been squashed. Everything's been taken care of, right? So I can approach now humans and I can approach God now in right relationship. So there's an outlet for this anger to be healed because it no longer has to be held against the object of the anger. And so I'm not saying it's this beautiful thing where it's like, hey, ask Jesus into your heart. Oh, no more anger. Now, I'm saying there's still a struggle and there's still a fight there to get rid of that. But what happens is you can do it now in the authority of the name of Jesus because he has wiped everything away. And so when he set, comes and says, I am the light of the world, he's saying that 
anger, jealousy, wrath, guilt, shame, all of these things which are so woven into the heart of men no longer have to be put on men. And so they can work their way out of this. And when I say work their way out of it, I don't mean that they work their way closer to God. What I mean is they grow more and more in belief and forgiveness and love and you push the shame and the guilt away because of what Christ has done. And so there is the, the, there is the gospel's healing power to do those things. And it all happens because of, it happens because of belief is what John would say. It happens because of belief. And so what we're going to do, what we're going to get into here just now is you're going to see because Jesus is claiming these things, his, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation, in the same way that he's using the Old Testament to build a foundation for who he is, the Pharisees are going to use the Old Testament to, try, the Old Testament to undermine that foundation. They're going to say, hey, you're, look, at, look at the Old Testament. You don't do what the Old Testament does, so you can't say that you're from God because he wouldn't contradict himself. We believe the Old Testament's revealed, and so they're going to use it to undermine him where he's going to try to use it to prove himself. Uh, and sometimes they do a good job. Sometimes they bring up some points where I'm like, I could see why that would confuse you. I can see why that would be weird. But this one here is a terrible point. Um, so we're going to see, uh, I just wanted to explain that before we get into it, because it's sort of a back and forth interplay, and I'm, I'm not going to explain it too much. I just want you to sort of hear it and read it, because it's a lot about Jewish law. It's a lot about stuff that uh, we, we just, it's not going to ring true with us, and it would take a ton of explanation. So let's, let's just listen to it, listen to the way they interact. But just keep in mind, the Pharisees' argument this time is, is quite terrible. Uh, it's not very good. Uh, so verse 13, we'll pick it up. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the testimony about being the light of the world, right? Uh, your testimony isn't true. Uh, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So his hour is that time where he goes directly to the cross. So he goes and he does all these things to make everyone angry, but sometimes they, just, they, they don't even try to arrest him. Um, so let's just give me two minutes on that one. Uh, they're saying, hey, the Old Testament says that you can't bear witness about yourself. You can't tell everybody who you are. You need two other people to say who you are. Like, this is, a, this is a, a, something you would do in the, in the courts of law. This is really has nothing to do with somebody standing on the street and saying, I'm, I am this person. So their argument is it's like they're grasping at straws now. We've been looking at seven chapters where they're coming up with some decent arguments. Like, you don't honor the Sabbath. You, you don't do things according to the Ten Commandments. Like, there's some pretty decent arguments they have. But this one is like, uh... You need two people to say that you're the Messiah, and you only have one, huh? right? It's like, so you see him start getting like real direct with him, and he's, and he's really just going to go to town on him right here. 
Uh, So he said to them again, I'm going away. You will seek me and you will die in your sin, right? That's very nice. Thank thank you, Jesus. Uh, Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe, there's the belief again, for unless you believe that I am he, I am the Messiah, I'm the one sent from God to cover the sins of the world. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? That's what I would say to Jesus. I think I would say that all the time. What are you talking about, bro? He just, okay. Um, Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you. Wow. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He's talking about God from the Father. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's talking about being lifted on the cross, then you will know that I am he, that I am the Messiah, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Look at that. As he was saying those things, many believed in him. Now let's watch what happens to those who believe in him. He, he makes them angry too. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus tries to run people off. He consistently tries to run people. He, like, he'll get a big following. Remember we looked at like four weeks ago? He'll get a big following and then he'll turn around and be like, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And, like, everybody leaves. And then he turns to the 12 that are left. He's like, y'all going to leave me also? And, like, no. Peter's like, no, no, no. You have the words of life. I don't know. I feel like I'd be in in not the 12. I'd be like, dude, this guy's crazy. Um, so, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. Right, right, right. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this is a huge statement. This is huge. This could be the most, not the most profound, but it's definitely a profound thing to say. The truth will set you free. Um, So, like we've been saying, that you either believing rightly, you believing the truth and making sure that what you believe is the truth and it's not lies, you believing rightly and not believing wrongly can change your life. Okay, that's, you'll agree with me on that, okay? But something I don't think we think about very often is that we as Christians believe that literally believing truth will change how we spend eternity. Right? Like, it's not, be, it's not because of anything that you do. Right? What's that, you know, that Ephesians 2.10? Y'all know what I'm talking about. All you church kids. By grace you've been saved through faith, but this is not your own, uh, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Right? So he's saying, it's been given to you. And so he's saying, just believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and was resurrected, just believing that literally is all that it takes 
to change where humans spend eternity. That's a huge statement, right? Like, have you thought about that it's just, it, like, it's just belief. It's just believing rightly. It's believing the truth. It's, like no, it's not like feeding the poor and becoming a homeless person who lives under a bridge and preaches. The, like, that's it's profound. It's a little insane that you just believing rightly can change everything. So if it has the power to change where you spend eternity, whether with God or apart from God, if it has that type of power, it also has the power to change your present existence, to take you from slavery to freedom. And so the Pharisees, or the, not the Pharisees, but these believing Jews, they're like, question then, Jesus, we're not slaves. So what the heck are you talking about? See, like, you can see why people would look at Jesus and be like, you're a little crazy. Because, that, I mean, this is exactly what they say. They answered him, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? So they're like, cool saying, Jesus, except we're not slaves. So what are you talking about? And I think we may be in a lot of the same position. Because none of us are slaves. Well, I don't, I don't know all of you. But my guess is you're in college, decent home, and you weren't born into slavery. And so you have this really weird, maybe deeper thing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, that's a bit heavier then, huh? Like, that's a bit heavier. That anyone who practices sin is not just a good person who sort of does some bad things occasionally. It's like, where did that come? Where did that anger come from? Like, where did that pride come from? Uh, biblically, the understanding is, is we are prideful, selfish, depraved humans. And when bad things come out, we really shouldn't be surprised. Uh, we've just done a good job of socially maintaining this front of, of goodness and okayness. And so we have this really, really, really terrible problem, I think, sitting in front of us. And that if you practice sin, that you're a slave to it. And literally, the only way out is right belief about Jesus. And so that brings up a huge question that I don't think we can just run past. Uh, I think some of you feel this more than others. I think some of you feel, because he's not talking about sins in the plural. He's not talking about these deeds that you do. He's talking about uh, the power of sin that exists across mankind. Like, why is it that we say, well, nobody's perfect? Like, why do we say that? Because we know no one's perfect? Like, why is it such a big deal that no one who has ever lived or walked on the earth has ever been perfect? And, like, why is it that humans... We gauge history by the wars that have taken place between nations and inside of nations. Like, that's how we look at, that, that's how humans look at their history. They look at their history through the lens of war. And that humans live in darkness, and they live under the power and the curse of sin. And that's a, that's a, that's a heavy idea, and I think some of you feel it more than others. I think some of you have, like, struggled to get away from pornography, and you just can't shake it. Like, you just can't shake it. As much as, you, as much as you want to be different, you cannot shake it. And you feel the power that this lifestyle and these things that you do, that you don't want to be this way, and you just can't shake it. And some of it's not so 
outwardly bad as that. Some of it's like this just internal guilt for things that you've done. And no matter how much you tell yourself, you're okay person, you're a good person, you can get back this, you'll, you'll turn this around, you'll put this aside. As much as you say that, you just can't. And so you just consistently wrestle with the guilt of your own life. Or you consistently wrestle with the shame of your own life. And you consistently wrestle with something, some negative influence over you that you just can't shake. And I think some of you feel that more than others do. And I think it would be a shame for for you guys to, to come and sit in here Uh, and sing songs, and eat African pita bread, right? And then listen to me yell at you about really depressing things, and then go to school, and nothing ever changed. And then for some reason, next week you come back, right? And you hear this all over again, and you almost get this glimpse of how things could be different. Like you, It's like you're in this deep, deep hole, and the light's way far away, and you know that it can be different. But you never really take the like you never really take the step to to do anything really about it, and so you're just consistently stuck in this pattern, consistently stuck in this pattern. And I'm not talking about like accepting Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and asking Him to come into your heart. That's not what I'm talking about, because I think a lot of you did that when you were six years old. You were baptized, and you still wrestle the same way everyone else does. Some of you even more. There's a verse, don't even worry about putting it up there, Chris, but there's a, there's a verse in Galatians that says, it's for freedom you were set free. So stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So it's for freedom you were set free. So stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That presupposes that you can be a believer, having been baptized and do all these things, and you still be submit again to slavery, still be submit to, again, a lifestyle that you see is not constructive, not good, not this thing you want to be a part of, and you try to fight your way out, and all you're sort of left with is coming to church. And it's just like, this isn't, like, this isn't doing it. Um, and so I think it would be a shame if we, if we bypass uh, what could be for the sake of this religious activity. Um, so I say all that leading up to uh, communion, um, and, and we'll tie this up. So the Bible uses, for the most part, most of the people that have been in the Bible and most of the Christians who have lived since the time of Christ, they've been illiterate. So they don't get a ton of time reading Scripture. So pictures were developed. Like one of the reasons the Jews killed, killed lambs for sins is because it's this very graphic picture that rebellion against God and like turning from the source of life and turning from, from the relationship that exists with the creator causes death. It causes things that aren't good. It's a very graphic picture of that. And so that's what this is, right? It's this graphic picture that the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for the sins of everyone. And then we take this, it's juice, it should be wine, but who cares. Uh, takes this drink, let's call it drink. And it, it, it represents the blood of Jesus who completely washes away the sins of the world and inaugurates this new covenant, this new time 
of God interacting with humans in a completely different way, where they don't have to kill goats and they don't have to kill lambs for their sins, where all they do is come to the throne of God and claim the blood of Jesus and say, I'm acceptable because of this. I'm acceptable because of this. Father, forgive me and thank you for making me your son. Thank you for making me your daughter based purely on this, right? Um, And so uh, what I want to do tonight is it would be stupid uh, for you to be experiencing those things I've talked about in a specific way. I think, I think a lot of you can, can really put, like, put a pin on something that you've been feeling guilty about for a terribly long time or something that you've been feeling shame about for a terribly long time or something that you've been angry with someone about and it eats you up and you've been feeling it for a terribly long time. or so, Like, I don't know, some of you were raised in the church and you came to school and all you do is get drunk now and you're starting to smoke weed too. So like, it's a lot of you, it's like some, I don't say a lot of you, some of you are doing that. And so you're feeling like this, this tendency, this, this pull away from what you know to be right, but this other thing feels good, it looks right, it's okay. Like, I'll just mess around with these girls occasionally and it'll be fine and you're slowly growing addicted to sex. And it's like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on on college campuses, I hate to tell you. Um, and what would be a shame is if you come here, you experience that and you feel that like, I know it. I know it. I came to church a thousand times living the same way, but you feel this. And all you do is just eat some bread and drink some stuff and you go home. Um, So we're going to sing some worship and what I want from you guys. uh, If that's the case, um, Holly and and Garth are always here. They always want to pray with you. They always want to just hear you. They just want to be here for you guys. Um, So if you want to pray with somebody, Garth and Holly are are there. uh, And I would love for you to go just... Bring something to the table, right? Just whatever it is. The way you deal with that is not just like keeping inside. The way that we understand as Christians to deal with this, um, the Catholics had it right on this. We confess it. We confess. We bring it to the light, right? I am the light of the world. We bring this into the light, and we say, I believe this holds no power over me because of what Jesus has done. And so I bring this to the light. I bring it to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I, and I, I bring it to the light. So Better than Garth and Holly, like as much as I would love for you to pray with them, I think there's some people around you that you're close with that can hold you accountable. Uh, So as we worship, as we sing, um, I want you guys to take some time before we do this uh, to pull off a side. Uh, If you just want to pray with some people, that would be beautiful uh, while we worship. If you got some things you need to just bring to the light and say, I've been doing this, this is where I am, I, I believe the blood of Jesus covers this, and that this isn't held against me, but it needs to be brought to the light. It doesn't, it, nothing happens while it's kept in the dark. Um, and so I want to encourage you in that direction before we do this.